You're listening to the Kurdistan in America podcast, the official podcast of the Kurdistan Regional Government representation in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Dolovan Barwari. I have the honor of speaking with Dr. Mariana Harudaki, an expert on U.S. foreign policy towards Kurds. Dr. Harudaki is a research fellow at Soran University in the Kurdistan region and a senior lecturer in international politics at the University of Lincoln. She is also a trustee and a conveyor of the BISA Foreign Policy Working Group. She was the director of the Kurdistan International Studies Unit from 2016 to 2019 at the University of Leicester. Her research lies at the intersection of international relations theories, foreign policy analysis, and area studies emphasizing the Middle Eastern region, with particular focus on Kurdistan. We discussed the U.S. foreign policy towards the Kurds, both past and present, and her experience and views of Kurdistan. And now, the interview with Dr. Mariana Harudaki. Welcome to the Kurdistan in America podcast, Dr. Mariana. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's a pleasure having you. Thanks for taking the time. You're a PhD holder, and you've done extensive research on the U.S. foreign policy towards the Kurds, including your PhD dissertation, of course. What inspired you to do so? Um, I would say that uh, the scarcity in the literature really back then uh, was um, a very sort of strong incentive. But uh, even more today... I think uh, if uh, we observe in general scholarly works, I think uh, there is still much uh, to be done or there is a little that has to be done when it comes to the nexus of uh, the international relations discipline and the Kurdish example. Let's delve into the U.S. foreign policy towards the Kurds a bit. The history of the U.S. foreign policy towards the Kurds. The Kurdish homeland, Kurdistan, was partitioned and annexed into Turkey, Iraq and Syria and Iran after World War I. And the U.S. has had many stages of foreign policy towards Kurds, which were mainly instrumental in nature, but, and not so much based on affective motivations or empathetic. Have you seen significant change in U.S. foreign policy in recent years? Well, uh, in fact, and as you might be uh, aware in any way, um, my perspective towards the US foreign policy towards the Kurds has been analysed on the basis of uh, this methodological approach, division into stages. Uh, But uh, yes, I could um, have... um, I could say that when it comes to the U.S. foreign policy towards the Kurds, and in particular to the Kurds in Iraq, um, the Kurdistan region, the Kurdistan autonomous region um, uh, in Iraq, and subsequently the KRG, we are talking about a declared and overt um, policy. Um, the uh, I think uh, the period of uh, the Obama tenure of office has been significant because I think that was somehow set during uh, that time. So going back to um, this uh, period, um, we have sort of this settlement um, of uh, this sort of evolution into a more sort of consolidated, institutionalized, but in the end declared uh, U.S. Uh, Kurdish foreign policy practice. The only, I think, um, 
extra thing that we can observe during uh, this past period is that we do not see in general an intensified U.S. Um, foreign policy holistically in the Middle East, but all, also as far as uh, the Kurds um, is uh, concerned, at least to the extent that that was the case uh, back then. So do you think that the changes in the world order after the fall of Soviet Union and the changes in the geopolitical situation with the rise of Islamic jihadist groups such as Al-Qaeda and then what followed ISIS have changed the U.S. foreign policy, the calculations, how to deal with non-state actors? Um, obviously, when we are talking about uh, the U.S. foreign policy, this is something, at least uh, uh, towards the Kurds, this is something that it is, it's being sort of uh, influenced by uh, general sort of regional or international events. But uh, going back to the 1980s and 90s, I would not necessarily um, say that, for instance, the establishment of the Kyrgyz in 1992 and following after that, the official, the convert of whatever was before uh, mere covert or relations between the two sides that, and then obviously we have this sort of like official sort of standing that it was... Um, related um, to the fall of the Soviet Union necessarily and so forth. Obviously, uh, that might, um, and as well, even the rise of ISIS, uh, yes, um, helped, uh, for example, in this uh, sort of institutional, the further sort of institutionalization and the strengthening, especially when it comes to the military level uh, of the relations between um, the US and the Kurds. And again, uh, we speak primarily about the Kurds in Iraq, uh, but I cannot uh, really um, uh, distinguish that as the sole factor. We shouldn't forget that and uh, you might uh, very much be aware of that. But when we are talking about uh, the U.S. foreign policy, at least until the um, Trump uh, administration, we could uh, very much see in a very sort of linear U.S. foreign policy identified by specific um, uh, foreign policy interests that they were based on what is called the national uh, interest, and this was consisted of a series uh, of bits. So. I think already there, there was a set of objectives that uh, there wasn't the necessity to be met, regardless of this material, either domestic or external structures that uh, you refer to. So on this, talking on this basis, obviously the humanitarian crisis, that it was a surprising event that broke uh, up back then, uh, and then, of course, we had the subsequent sort of like creation of the safe heaven and, and the establishment of of um, uh, of, um, of uh, uh, the, the Kurdistan autonomous, autonomous region. It was a sort of like formative uh, event. Um, but this, I guess, it is not necessarily always the case or the same factors sort of they play uh, always the same sort of role when we're talking about the formulation of the US foreign policy. Now, uh, the frame is much more loose, but uh, going uh, back then, I think it was more sort of structured and more sort of like um, centered and focused around um, the US objectives um, rather than abstractedly. And of course, that meant that there had to be a reshaping and sort of a contextualization of any sort of events that they were sort of emerging. But uh, of course, um, 
certain sort of instances uh, they are they are important and we we need to uh, we need to identify them as critical when it comes obviously to certain um, decision making that it was uh, that it was taken back then um yeah so um in in a way we can say that uh, everything somehow is interwined hmm? and maybe at different periods different sort of like elements were playing uh, a role now let's break this down a bit from based on what you uh, just said there are many factors that influence us foreign policy national interest material factors uh, as well as humanitarian responsibility to to protect, uh, which was basically some of the reasons why the U.S. intervened in in Kosovo, for example, or, uh, or, or other parts of uh, the world. And Operation Provide Comfort was basically in that context, humanitarian in nature. Do you think the U.S. or uh, the New World Order has appetite for humanitarian interventions, responsibility to protect? Um, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure that um, the responsibility to protect uh, has been affected to effective to a great extent, and this uh, goes back to obviously the rationales behind uh, these sort of like practices. I think it has been exhausted uh, when it comes, at least uh, to the Middle East, uh, the practices, these sort of sort of, sort of practices. And uh, the outcome um, of those sort of policies also, I am not very much sure how effective uh, they have um, they have been proven. Um, I believe that, um, and this is something that, you know, the US sort of reset policy and all of this sort of discourse of disengagement is something that maybe is telling us that... Um, um, what is required, maybe it's its entity to sort out its own affairs without any sort of like, you know, external sort of pressures. Um, but, um, overall, if we want to, to go back to, to, to the initial sort of, um, uh, incentive or if you like, if you like practices when it comes to the US foreign policy, I think, um, it's, um, it's a time where US foreign policy has to rethink and has to revisit both its practices, but also um, its uh, its discourse. And um, I think uh, that uh, certain sort of like um, uh, certain sort of like, and this not only because of certain sort of developments that they are taking place, but even more because nowadays we are talking about a sort of multipolar, if you like, non. In a non-polar sort of like uh, world order, uh, as as you mentioned, I think uh, yes, it is. I think about time the US to find refine itself. Okay, now let's delve inside the US a bit. Public opinion seems to be tireless of endless wars, and the US withdrawal of Afghanistan implies that Washington also doesn't want to, uh, or doesn't have any appetite left for such adventures at least in the Middle East. This seems to be especially the case uh, now that Washington views Russia and China as bigger global threats. Now, in your view, how likely is it for Washington to withdraw its troops from Iraq and Syria? 
I think uh, in any way, the uh, US administration uh, since 2011 has um, been, uh, been already announcing this sort of withdrawal and we are going to withdraw. And this was not only the case um, in Iraq, but thereafter in Syria and so forth. Um, however, you know, here the point is not sort of of any prediction because I think this point is directly related to um, our previous sort of um, input as far as, okay, what does the foreign, the US foreign policy wants today? Uh, how it's been framed? How it's been uh, shaped, reshaped within this new sort of like scenery that it has to obviously confront? So I think um, everything is very much related to um, how U.S. is seeing, how Washington is seeing itself today. And I think uh, this is a task in progress. Unless this has been, I think, answered, we cannot really give sort of any um, safe answer as to um whether what it has to do on the second or the third sort of like stage uh, when it comes to the Middle East or any other region? The realists generally dismiss domestic influence. What is your opinion of that? Does the public opinion in the U.S. have a lot of weight on U.S. foreign policy? Does it have any weight on U.S. foreign policy? I think public opinion uh, in um, uh, in cases like the US America obviously matters, and um, the war in Iraq uh, I think it it is a case in point. Uh, however, um, right now I think uh, the most important um, and obviously after the Trump administration, this came even more in the forefront. How US is sorting out its own sort of order within. And I think uh, this is even more important to do so, given the fact that it is a very sort of like complicated, if you like, um, foreign policy device. Hmm? You have many bureaus, different interests. And I think um, um, it is sort of about time that within uh, there is a sort of like order that needs to be placed that somehow I think was, uh, if you like, um, disturbed uh, in the past sort of years. So I think this again goes back to what uh, we initially um, discussed. And I think it's very important to see all these three different points that you have raised through your questions holistically and as a package. Great analysis. Now let's pivot back to you. And let's talk about your fellowship at Soran University, if you could tell us a bit about that. Um, look, I think uh, that um, for, for me, uh, it's not, um, I'm not dividing the universities, hmm? universities uh, in the US, universities in Syria, universities in, in Iraq. It's very, I think, important if we are able, uh, at least us, that we are trying to combine theory with regional studies to be able and demonstrate presence to be able and demonstrate how important is of equal importance to, if you like, engage with institutions other than 
um, uh, those outside the, the region. So within this context, I'm very happy and uh, always I'm very willing uh, to engage uh, with uh, whatever is supportive of my own subject matter in the end of the day. And I think this is served through um, through my collaboration and uh, my engagement uh, with institutions such as the University of Soran or any other um institutions that I'm engaging in the region. Um, lately, we did a very, uh, I think, um, a nice and a fruitful sort of discussion um, with the French Lebanese University together with the University of Rojava uh, from Syria. Very important because I think our role uh, as academics, apart from obviously engaging uh, with um, uh, with uh, universities that they are already set and established is also to support education in post-war societies contexts, and uh, I think uh, in this uh, respect that our presence also in the region, apart from obviously our international standing, is of equal importance. And I'm very happy for uh, my uh, sort of contribution if I'm able to contribute anything to the University of Soran, as you mentioned. Before. And my next question is about. Uh, Kurdish studies in general. I know you focus on U.S. foreign policy and the Kurdish issue uh, for all parts of Kurdistan in relation to all parts of Kurdistan. Is there a university in Kurdistan or is there a program that offers Kurdish studies or Kurdology in, in the university? And how, in your view, how important is that to establish that program, um, such program? You know, it's uh, it's very interesting. I think uh, you said, uh, well, you are doing U.S. foreign policy, you're vis-a-vis the Kurds, I don't know what. But uh, if you look at any sort of, uh, at least when it comes to the central sort of Middle East, uh, it's impossible that you uh, can be able to analyze any sort of regional development without the Kurds, without the Kurds as a factor. So we should not really neglect so much the value uh, of you know the um, and the importance of the theme which is called uh, Kurdish uh, which is obviously entailed in what is called Kurdish uh, Kurdish studies so having said that and uh, um, given the fact that uh, at least after the Palestinian let's say issue the Kurdish issue is the most important uh, in and upcoming, obviously, in general, uh, whatever this entails um, in the Middle East, I think the uh, importance of a program on Kurdistan is uh, of significant value, not because it's just my subject matter, and obviously all of us that we are working on Kurdistan, we like to see the studies to flourish more and more, but because practically um, it is as a factor part of an analysis that we cannot do without it. So it's part of the broader region. And as such, A, we need to empirically address it, but also theoretically to be able and see the reflections it's been doing for whatever discipline each of us um, is uh, is pursuing. So I think it's um, it's uh, it's uh, it's vital and it's very surprising uh, that it's been taken into I don't know it's been it's been taken for granted that okay yes we can maybe abstractedly do some modules or themes on the topic but this Kurdish studies program has to start from Kurdistan and then spread this is uh, is a very good uh, point to notice yes that maybe the universities there would need to think about that yes. Very well said. 
Now you've traveled to Kurdistan and you've done extensive research uh, on Kurds. I'm curious to know, when was the first time you heard about Kurds or Kurdistan? Uh, well, this is a more sort of like uh, philosophical, historical sort of uh, response, because as mm-hmm. uh, you might know very well, uh, Xenophon first before anyone, um, the Greek philosopher, he referred to um, the word Karduhi uh, and Karduhos, which of course referred to these people uh, between the Zagros Mountains. Um, it means uh, it's a synthesis and it's coming from two words from the word kardia, which is the heart, and the verb I have, echo. So basically, Karduhi, there were the Kurds, there were those that they're having a heart, so the brave ones, the warriors. And uh, um, I think it was um, uh, the text, The March of the 10,000, basically. So this is the first time when, yes, I, yeah. Very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Now, what is a word or phrase that explains Kurdistan to you? Look, the Middle East, uh, apart from Xenophon, it's uh, full of uh, stereotypes. So obviously, I think not only to me, to everyone uh, that uh, has a familiarity with the region inside or outside, the Kurds are the warriors. hmm? Uh, And Kurdistan is obviously the land. But I want here to make um, a note. when, okay, yes, we're talking about the Kurds, the warriors, and so forth. Today, we see um, a more sort of informed picture. You have um, the clergy that has been exercising, practicing foreign policy. We are talking about diplomacy. We are talking about foreign relations. We are talking about interactions on, you know, the, the, the broader level. So I think somehow, um, stereotypically, we come across of sort of like certain, uh, if you like, um, stereotypes such as these. But I think it's necessity, um, uh, first for academia and then for the rest of the world, for, for, for politics, to move away from this. And I will jump here to give you another sort of counter uh, word when it comes to uh, the uh, sort of connotation of America. America is a notion for us. It means, so for us, I mean, for anyone, I guess, is power, okay? But is it the case or is it the same sort of understanding today when we are talking about this multipolar, dash nonpolar world? when we are talking about the diffusion of the power, when we are talking about the expansion of the understanding of power, but also its agency, ISIS might have power. So what I'm trying to say is that, or any sort of like uh, a fundamentalist sort of a group. So what I'm trying to say here is that um, it's it's very important as a question because, yes, it helps us sort of like make certain sort of links and understand that these are the stereotypes and the reductionist approaches that they need to be omitted when we are talking about the study of the Middle East. And instead of trying to deconstruct any region, including here the Middle East, is how we as academics, and I think this is part of our contribution, is to try and find solutions, to bring up suggestions, rather than having this sort of negative or deconstructing perspective. But it's happening a lot. Very well said. Now, 
since you've done your studies mainly on U.S. foreign policy towards Kurds, and you, I will ask you the same questions about same question about America. You mentioned power. Other than power, what is a word or phrase that explains America to you? <laughs> State power. <laughs> yeah, I will insist to my previous actually input. Yes, this, 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 and it's really time um, for everyone, state or non-state entities, and even more when it comes to the state entities, I think to reconsider and understand in a more sort of like um, effective way the status that they have, especially, for example, now the US, uh, as an impact um, around the world, in the Middle East in particular, vis-a-vis their long sort of um, uh, presence there. And uh, I think the US foreign policy needs to start being even more responsible um, when it comes uh, to each uh, discourse apart, first and foremost before the actual practice, because it's something that it is impacting and affecting thousands of lives. So I think we are entering in a more sort of like realistic um, uh, scenery that everyone has to take, any sort of entity has to take its own responsibilities about where this world is going and then us we can follow uh, asking ourselves where international studies are going. But first and foremost is the job, obviously, of those that are in the driving seat. Wonderful. Now, before we wrap up the interview, would you like to add anything else? I I would like to say that, um, you know, uh, one of the, because you ask some, in inverted commas, personal sort of questions, uh, how I started and, you know, and things like this. And so um, I would like to say that uh, for me, if you ask me at this stage of sort of of my uh, work, uh, what I have gained from whatever um, it's called Kurdish studies and my choice of writing on the Kurds is uh, the respect and the appreciation of the Kurdish society. And I think that uh, this is the most important of everything. Well, thank you so much for the studies. I've gained a lot of knowledge from your work, and I really appreciate this interview. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Kurdistan in America podcast, the official podcast of the Kurdistan Regional Government Representation in Washington, D.C. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast either on Buzzsprout, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google. Also, for more information about the Kurdistan region, please visit our website at www.us.gov.krd or follow us on Twitter at krg_usa.